The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. This morning, our, th- our theme of our sermon from Psalm 116 is on rest for your soul. And um, we, um, we are we're conscious of the need for body rest. And we, we do that sometimes fairly well. But we often can neglect soul rest. And so this morning, that's what the whole message is about. And um, we're going to be looking at a psalm. In fact, for the whole time that I've been here, usually this sermon, this uh, Sunday between Christmas and New Year's is when I preach on one of my favorite psalms. In fact, I was just saying to Kevin earlier that the first time I think I did it was Psalm 42, 43, why are you downcast, O my soul, put your hope in God, he'll take your blues. It was a blues song. I remember that part. Um, I won't remember it this morning. But anyway, um, this one's more, this song is uh, is a little more folksy. But uh, the first song I want to uh, sing actually is written in 1738. And um, not even Dave Wynn can remember that, you know. So um, <laughs> just saw you. I don't know. And... Uh, <laughs> So um, Charles Wesley wrote this. Uh, he wrote several. Between him and John, his brother, they wrote hundreds of hymns. And uh, the thing that I like about this is that we get to have a peek into someone's prayer journal, basically, because this was a poem, not a song. And it wasn't a hymn with a tune until after he died. Nine years after he died, in 1797, someone put this to a melody, which I'm going to sing. And um, it's, it's an incredible song about how he took care of his own soul. In fact, when it was first published, or not published, written, I don't know if it was ever published, but when it was first written, he called it In Temptation. That's what he called it. Charles Wesley called this poem In Temptation. And uh, so here we have a chance to get uh, on the shoulders of one of the greats in the faith and see, looking over their shoulder, how they handled some tough times and found rest in God. Lord Jesus, I love you. Thank you for being a faithful God. And this morning, as we open up your word and as we hear you speak, Lord, may your Holy Spirit just come and and blow your wind and have your way. And uh, Lord, we want to love you more in the coming year than we've loved you this year. And yet our souls don't always find our rest in you. So God, would you just help us to address that today in some way? In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. The alarm goes off and you wake up. Your first thoughts are disturbing ones. Sleep has somehow given you a escape from certain realities that are in your life. But now that you're awake, you can't ignore them. And you remember what weighs on you. It might have been something that you regret about the day before. It might be something that you're dreading about the day ahead. It might be something that you know you need to do, but you don't want to do it. It might be a relational tension that has dragged on for so long you think this is as good as it gets. Or you might not even know what it is, 
you just know that you've wakened to this gray and bleak feeling that hangs over your head. And whatever it is, it settles upon you like a dense fog just moments after you've awakened. And it stays there in what otherwise could be a very sunny day. What do you do with such burdens and thoughts? Well, I want to suggest to you that a good place to begin to go is the Psalms. These incredible books of the Bible, which some have said are divided into five books because the law of God is five books of the Bible, and the law of God is God speaking, and the Psalms are answering language responding to God. And that's indeed what we find is you're in good company if you wake up like that and and you go to the Psalms, you're in good company because wherever you read it, you'll find somebody writing about their own experience with God and them wrestling to find rest in God alone and being able to mentor you and understand a little bit of why it is that you might be wrestling to actually find your rest in God. They're a good vehicle to get us to go to God. A sympathetic ear will be found. And God has an opportunity in the Psalms to, to receive as well as speak, to speak to us and to hear from us. And so this morning, as we talk about the resting of our souls, let me begin with just a little bit of what the dictionary says about the word rest, because it's actually a very good parallel what the dictionary says about rest and what we're going to be talking about in terms of soul rest. The dictionary says that rest can be defined as ceasing from action, labor, and exertion. It can be called or defined as freedom from that which wearies or disturbs you. Something that gets fixed and is settled. Rest. Being confident and trustful, or finally, a leaning and reposing and depending on someone else. That's rest, according to the dictionary. And the Psalms have so much, the Bible has so much to say about rest. I want to just share a few of my favorite verses about rest. One of my favorites, found in Psalm 91, verse 1, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And it's interesting that he says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest. We'll come back to that thought in a little while. Another one is from David in Psalm 62. He says, My soul finds rest in God alone. He is my salvation He alone is my rock, my refuge. I will not be shaken, he says. Psalm 62, verse 1. Later on in verse 5, he says, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. You'll see a lot of self-talk in this kind of discussion because we are talking to our souls. Jesus spoke of rest in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, when he said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, Come unto me, he says, and you will find rest. And he says it this way, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He specifically says, You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
And then the central passage today in Psalm 116, which Kevin read, is verse 7. And in that verse, the psalmist says, Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Now, what is Psalm 116? It's a part of a sixth psalm package, isn't it? It's called the Hallel, which is uh, a word that means praise. And the Jewish community still to this day use Psalm 113 to 118, those six psalms, as a part of what they recite during important feasts and festivals during the Jewish calendar year. And so in this psalm, he is responding to God, and each of the psalms actually respond to God by saying, here's why we praise you. We praise you, and there's usually two reasons. We praise you for who you are. That's why Kevin was singing a lot of songs this morning about who God is. But then secondly, we, we praise God for what he has done, especially for us, okay? And it kind of begs the question when you do this. It kind of begs the question, is it okay for us to praise and thank and love God, not just for who he is, which is inherently worthy of that praise and thanks and love. But is it okay for you and I to worship and praise and thank and love God for what He does for us? Now, be careful before you answer it. Is it okay to thank God, love God for what He does for us, not just for who He is? The answer that the Hallel would suggest, the Psalms that are written there, would say a mighty, yes, it's okay. But he, they would also give us a cautionary no. Why would they say yes? Well, verse 1 of the very scripture that we're looking at in Psalm 116, he says, I love the Lord. And we ask the question, why? Why do you love the Lord? And he says, because he heard my voice, he heard my cry for mercy, and because he turned to his, his ear to me, and because he did that, I will call on him as long as I live. So he's clearly loving God, thanking God, worshiping God because of what God did in hearing his voice and helping him. Psalm 118 is the same. First and last verse of that psalm says, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Why give thanks to the Lord? Well, it says, because he's good and his love endures forever. Did you notice that goodness, which is used quite a few times here, goodness is not only who God is, but it is what God does for us, right? He's, he's a good God. That's inherently who He is. Jesus said no one is good but God alone, but it's also how He treats us. He's a good God. He treats us with His goodness. And so the question is, is it okay to love God? For who he is, yes. Is it okay for, to love him, what he does? Yes. But the, the, the danger here, and this is where the psalmist would often remind us of this, is that what if your experience of his goodness is not, is not being registered? What if your radar of God's goodness is not picking up his goodness and your experience in your life doesn't see his goodness? Does that mean that you stop loving him, thanking him, praising him, serving him? This is not, is this not the, the test that Job faced. When Satan came along into the heavenlies and he came before God Almighty, he said in Job verse, chapter 1, verse 9, he said, does, God, does Job fear God for nothing? Of course he's going to be living for you. 
You've built a hedge all the way around him. Take away your hand and strike him, and he'll curse you to your face, Satan said to God. And thus entered Job into this time of testing. And in the end, thank the Lord, Job passed the test, for he realized that God is worthy of being loved and thanked and praised even when his experience wasn't registering that goodness because he's still a good God. And so the writer in this passage goes on and the psalmist reminds us of how he experienced this. Let me read on in verse 3 of Psalm 116. Here's how he described his survival prayer. The cords of death entangled me, The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. I called on the name of the Lord. Save me, O Lord. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. And the Lord protects the simple-hearted. And when I was in great need, He saved me. Then verse 7, Therefore, He says, Be at rest. He's talking to Himself. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. So he's gone through this incredible dark night of the soul. He's gone through awful times. The burdens, you can plug in yours for wherever his are are, are listed. And he's gone through that. And at the end, he sees that God has been good. And so he says to himself, be at rest because you know that God is good. You've seen it in the past. And even if it's not registering now, you know that God is good and he will be good to you. Do you notice that the writer goes in these verses from praying simply survival prayers to starting to pray revival prayers. Very important switch here that goes on. I wonder if you and I were to add up the prayers that you and I have prayed in 2018 and the top of one column you would put survival praying at the other column you would put revival praying. You know, one is just God get me through the day kind of praying, Lord, I need you, I don't know what to do here, survival praying, and the other is praying, God, help my soul to be at rest in you, Lord, I thank you for your fullness, God, I want to be right in the middle of your will, and so on, revive me, God. I wonder which column would be longer, and I'm not condemning anybody for survival praying, God doesn't condemn. Why would God the Father not want you and I to come to Him with survival prayer? Absolutely. But we can't get stuck there. We can't get stuck there. Because it tells us if we get stuck there that we don't understand that the Lord is good all the time. All the time. And so he goes on. He goes on to talk about it. God knows you and I live in a fallen world. God knows that we are in a dangerous world. God knows you intimately. He knows the the noise on the outside of your life, and He knows the noise on the inside of your life that clutters up your soul, the things that distract you from resting in Him. He knows how fragile you are in certain areas. He knows what makes you afraid. He knows what makes you worry. He knows what occupies your mind at night. He knows the things that you're going to have a knee-jerk reaction to. He knows you. He loves you. He's good to you. And, And there's nothing better to do than on the brink and the threshold of a new year to stop and say, God, how am I at rest in you? How is my soul doing? 
Questions like, does my heavenly father really know what's happening to me right now? You need to answer that question. Really? Does Jesus have any concern about my burdens? Does he have a plan for the new year in my life? Is he accomplishing something through what I'm being asked to endure at this time? Does he already know what to do about it? The answer to all these questions is yes. God does. And so the fight of the good fight of faith has to do with our, our hearts reposing, resting in God. We tend to run to the front battle lines and try to fight in the flesh when the real fight the good fight of faith is talking about finding rest in God, peace, contentment in God. And so in verse 7, be at rest, he says, once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. And then from that time on, he's in a revived state. He's no longer in the survival mode. So listen to what he says. In verse 8, he reminds himself of what God has done. He says, verse 8, he delivered my soul from death, past tense. He's delivered my eyes from tears. He's delivered my feet from stumbling. And why did he do that? He did it so that I can walk in the land of the revived. I can walk in the land of the living. I can demonstrate that I have life that came outside of me from God himself because I'm dwelt, indwelt by God himself. The Holy Spirit lives in me. One of the Hebrew words for rest is a word that literally means to spend the night. So you should rest in your home if you're going to stay overnight there. He who dwells, here we come back to Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest. And, and the idea is, shall pass the night in the shadow of the Almighty. That's the word rest. At any given moment in the city of Winnipeg, there are two kinds of people that are in every house. Your house, my house, your neighbor's house. There are people in that house that dwell there, and there are people in that house that are visitors there. Now, if Pat and I were to come over to your home some evening, and we were to spend the evening and share together and talk and so on, there would come a point in the evening, at some hour, you would sort of start expecting Pat and I to look at each other somehow and say, one of us would say, well, I guess it's about time we should get going, right? Because we don't live there, right? We, you didn't set up a bed for us. And if we didn't sort of say that, and the, and the evening wore on and on and on, you would start to think, like, what's with the pastor and his wife? <laughs> in our first pastoral ministry in Eagle River, I, I remember on a few, just a few occasions, um, I got tired, and I just went to bed. We had company in our home, and uh, I just dismissed myself and went down the hallway and left Pat with the company. <laughs> it only happened a few times. I love, I, love, I love watching couples, by the way. You ever notice how they have these subtle little ways of communicating? You know, when they're in, it's either a, or it's a toe or... You know, if you're, you're just, a, <clears throat> just a little pinch. One of my, my favorites, and Pat's still learning this language, I think, but one of my favorites is that 
when, if we have company, when they look elsewhere, I'll try to get Pat's eye and I'll go, you know, something. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, a, it's time, you know. What's the point of all this? Well, the point I'm making is that, is that when it comes to soul resting in God, God does not just want you to be a visitor of his dwelling place. He does not want you to just go to him when you have to pray a survival prayer, rush into his house and say, oh God, you got to help me. This is going on in my life. Neither does he want you just to visit him when it's passing the pleasantries of a nice evening in the season of your life. Well, Lord, thank you so much for this past year. God doesn't want you just to be a visitor. The point is that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest. You will not find soul rest unless you learn to let God live in you and you live in God and you don't become a visitor anymore with God. You're at home with him and he's at home with you. Abiding in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelling you and so on. And that's what God wants for us. He wants to be the one who is indwelling us and us indwelling Him. So the question is, how can our daily experience be one of abiding in this kind of presence and resting in that kind of presence? It doesn't have to be the exception, you know, like, why visit God once a week in church and then forget about Him the rest of the week? Why visit God once in the morning during a quiet time and then forget about him until you go and put your head on your pillow at night? Why do that? God says, no, I, I want way more and, and I have so much more to give you. If you'll, just, if you'll actually just dwell with me all day long, I'll, you'll find rest for your soul. But if you don't, all the other clutter of your inside noise and your outside noise, it's going to get overwhelming and you're not going to feel restful anymore in me. Your soul will be agitated. And so, notice that the writer of this psalm, verse 12, goes on then to say, in a thanksgiving kind of prayer, in a revival state of praying, not a survival state, he says, verse 12, how can I repay the Lord for His goodness to me? And it's a natural response. You know, God has been good. God has blessed. I, I can see how he's been faithful. My soul is at rest again. How can I repay him? I don't like the word repay. Some of the translations say, what shall I render unto the Lord? Because you see, the word repay is a contractual word. I have to repay something. It's like a mortgage. I, I've borrowed the money and now I have to repay it. It's a contract. But our relationship with God is not a contract. It's a covenant. I mean, what do you buy someone like God who has everything at Christmas, right? What can you do to pay, repay something? You can't do anything. So what does the psalmist say? He says, what can I repay to the Lord? He says, I'll lift up the cup of salvation and I'll call on the name of the Lord even more in the future. See, that's the way we repay God. That's the way we respond to God's grace is just drinking more deeply from grace. That's what we do. We received abundance of it in 2018. How will you respond to 2018? You'll drink even more of it in 2019. You'll just drink of the Lord's abundance. You'll lift up the cup of salvation. You'll call upon the name of the Lord. And where will you do it? Verse 14. 
Verse 14, I will fulfill my vows where? In the presence of his people. Why would you do it there? Well, you do it there because you want other people to know, oh, I'm not a strong person. I don't want you to think that I'm a strong person. I don't want you to think I've overcome that tragedy in 2018. I don't want you to think more of me. No, no, no. I want you to know I'm drinking deeply of the cup of salvation. I'm not a strong person. I have a strong God. I want to fulfill my vow in the presence of all you people so you see what God can do through weak people like me. Verse 18, he says the same thing. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. Where? In the presence of his people. Verse 19, where? In the courts of the house of the Lord, where all God's people are. Where? In your, in your midst, O Jerusalem. And then he ends the whole psalm by just saying, hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. And so this psalm is reminding us that we have a response to make. That, that when our hearts are agitated and our souls need rest, we know where to go. And the best response is not some debtor's ethic. Oh, God, what can I do for you? You've done so much for me. Huh? You can't do anything except just lift up the cup of salvation, call on his name even more. So why don't we feel more soul rest? One who dwelt very close to God in the 1600s, a man by the name of Francis de Sales wrote a book called An Introduction to the Devout Life. And he gives us this counsel. He says, say to God this, Oh my God, why can't I be ever looking up to you even as you are ever looking down on me? Why do you remember me when I so often forget you? Oh my soul, Find true rest in God. There is where you should seek it. You see, the, the, the greats, those that knew God better, the, those that walked in spiritual life in ways that maybe we aspire to, always tell us that we need to take care of our souls. And so I'm going to give you a little acrostic to end this sermon with. It's going to just use four letters from the word rest. And I'm going to ask that you just think on this as you ponder how you're going to enter the new year. Rest. And the first letter R is remove. Remove everything in your life that hinders from you resting in God. You know, as we go into new years and as we go into longer life, life can often just get more cluttered with more stuff. And if you do not do the hard scalpel kind of surgery of removing something from your life, you cannot find rest. And so the first thing is, decide before the Lord, what is it that you're going to remove that hinders you from resting in God? Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I'm told that in Southern California that there are beautiful mountain ranges around the cities and so on, but that the, the smog can be so bad that you can't see the mountains until the Santa Ana winds blow. And when those winds blow, the smog disappears and you can see these mountain ranges all around the city. 
It's kind of the way we need to think of letting the Holy Spirit come, blow the smog away, the thing that clutters our lives and hinders us from a pure and pursuing relationship with God, and then being able to start fresh. But we need to cooperate with God. Secondly, E. After you've removed that and established some habits, practices, and routines, especially as it concerns the Bible, the Word of God. And, and so this establishing of new routines is important. It, you all know the definition of, of a rut, eh? <laughs> okay. So, uh, <laughs> so how, how is it that we establish new routines, practices, and habits? I think that mainly it has to be around the Word of God. I'm just finishing off the year of going through the whole Bible in one year on the Version app. And I've decided a few months ago, I don't want to do that again because I, I, I find I have to read so much and I don't kind of absorb, I don't get into it. So I'm, I've chosen a two-year plan now this time and I'm, I'm going to do the two-year plan. It's not important. There's no spiritual plan necessarily, but what is a, it is a plan. That itself is spiritual. Having an approach, having a decision made, establishing the routine. This is what I'm going to read in the scriptures. This is when I'm going to read it. This is my chair. This is when I'll do it, how I'll do it, and so on. And in that kind of exercise, find that you will be doing what Paul said to young Timothy in Ephesus. Train yourself to be godly, he said. Train yourself to be godly. Be renewed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be like the Psalm 1 person whose delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it and he's like a tree planted by water and yielding its fruit in season and so on. Imagine, the kids are too young to remember this, in 1995, Pat and I took our children to Colorado Springs. We went to the Navigators um, Conference Center called Glen Erie. Anybody ever been there? Okay, good. There we go. And uh, so we were there, and it was a week of camp for, for pastoral families. And the kids had their programming, and Pat and I had ours. And we were, the guest speaker was a David Bryant of Concerts of Prayer International, and the whole theme of the week was prayer. It was a great uh, week of teaching. And we met a couple there that week named Matthew and Bonnie. And we were hiking with them when Matthew's glasses fell out into a stream in one of the mountain streams up the, up the mountain. And they have what they call punch bowls, where a stream is lively coming down the mountain, stops and swirls around in the rock, and, and then carries on eventually. But, but his glasses fell into this punch bowl, this stream, and, and the water was clear, but it was moving so fast we couldn't see his glasses. But I had a, a snorkeling mask down in the cabin, so I went down, got it, got it back, I put the mask on, I looked into the water, and as soon as I looked into the water with the mask on, I saw everything clear. I saw Matthew's glasses, I saw fish. That's what it is like when your mind is renewed daily with the Word of God. You begin to have vision for things that are right there, but you didn't see them, you can't see them. You might have answered prayer waiting for you already, but because you're not in the habit of finding your rest in God, having your mind renewed, and so on, you're missing answered prayer. You're missing answers to the things that you're asking God about. And so God's word, word sharpens our vision. 
when our minds get polluted. We need to be renewed. I encourage you to establish good routines. S is surround yourself with a balance of a godly environment, people, prayer, etc. I don't know if you can improve on Acts 2.42, where the early church said that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I read once that orchestra, members of an orchestra, have to pay attention to three things. They have to adjust their playing to three things. They have to obviously pay attention to the conductor. They have to pay attention to the score of the music that is on their stand. And they have to pay attention to the others that are playing with them. And to me, as soon as I read that, I thought, well, that sounds like us as Christians. We need to pay attention to the lordship of Christ in our lives, him directing the whole show. We need to pay attention to the word of God, the score, which is for everybody it's the same, and, and know it and renew your minds with it. And we need to pay attention to the brothers and sisters that God has given us to be in harmony with. And that's how you do life, and that's how you do church. And that's how God has designed it to be. Remove everything that hinders. Establish good habits and practices. Surround yourself with balance of a godly and edifying influence. And then finally, trust God, T. Trust God through prayer with every burden you carry, every decision you make. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Most of our struggles, friends, are worse in life because we are living in a pre-revived state, a survival state instead of a revival state where God has got a hold of our hearts and minds and we're, we're casting our cares on him. And it doesn't mean that life gets fixed overnight, but it does mean that my heart and my soul has a place of refuge, a repose in God, and our, our souls can find rest. Let's pray together. Lord our God, thank you for this scripture, for the many psalms that are like mentors to us. Thank you, Lord, that you know us completely and that we can trust you, God, to take us through the new year even as you've brought us through this past year. Lord, thank you that you know what's coming. And Lord, you're able to strengthen the weak knees and make level paths for our feet. And Lord, in the, in the, in the midst of anything that comes, Lord, we ask you, please help us. We need your help to make sure that our, our souls can find their rest in Christ. That's why you came, Lord. And so I pray you'd help us. And we thank you in Jesus' name.